Well, good morning. I, uh, I wore this this morning. It's, uh, you know, we get Amazon things that show up at our door. Now we get a uh, designer mask. I don't know about you. It's, you know, it was designer purses, designer all things. Now it's designer mask. So my wife made me try on a few things this morning. I said, I think this one's the better one. So, uh, but anyway, what a blessing it is to gather together here to praise God. And uh, it's nice to see as many faces here and a special welcome to those of you online. And uh, I guess there, there's been a little revision online and some things have changed. So um, that we hope is going well as, uh, as can be expected. We've been very blessed by our tech team. So I wanna thank you, all of those. Give them a little love up there. In the rain, yes. We needed a little rain. So this morning, we're going to um, conclude our series. We had a little break last week on baptism, and uh, Pastor Trent did a wonderful job there on the covenantal promise of God in, in baptism and what that means to us as believers. But this morning is our last in the series in the book of Judges. And uh, no surprise, uh, Trent said, you got, the, you got one of the best. And I said, well... Samson? Really? Uh, there's been uh, a number of judges. In fact, in the book of Judges, there's like 12, but there are six main judges. The first three seem to be a little bit better than the last three, but they all were broken, weren't they? So just as a reminder, what happened when Joshua had taken and led the Israelites into the promised land, God had a, a very strict commandment. And he said, I want you to drive out the Moabites, the Canaanites, and all of those that were the, the, those that did not worship God. He wanted them to cleanse the land, if you would, and drive them away. But Israel didn't do that, did they? And now we continue with maybe part of the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So Joshua died. Israelites didn't follow the commands of God. And they became entrenched in the lifestyles of those around them. And uh, that didn't work out so well. And uh, they were blinded now by the gods of the Philistines, uh, turning their hearts from Yahweh, mighty God. And God then raised up judges. We know the story. And the cycle always repeated itself. The Israelites did evil in the sight of God, and then God sent his judgment. And then as that judgment continued, they would cry out. They would repent and ask God to intervene. And then God would send a savior, if you would. And, uh, but then that worked for a little while, and then they turned right back and became apostate again and worshiped the gods of the people in which they lived. So just when you think you've heard about it all, whether it was with Gideon or some of the others, now we have the grand finale. I'll call it maybe like the end of the July 4th fireworks. This could be called the uh, great uh, postlude of the book of Judges. And of all, the, of all the judges, Samson probably is the most famous. After all, 
long hair. Somebody said to me a while back, why don't you let your hair grow longer? Don't cut it. I said, I don't think I'll look like Samson. But he's known for his feats of great strength. And most notoriously, he's probably known for what? His time with Delilah, Samson and Delilah. Well, most of us guys probably kind of like Samson, don't we? Come on, be honest. He, uh, we'd like to kind of identify with him in some ways. After all, he's kind of a macho man. I think, as I reflected on Samson in, the, in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16, that Samson could have been called the first Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger, move over. I think uh, he was maybe somewhat attractive too to us, wasn't he, as, as guys? And maybe I'm, I'm not the, maybe I'm the only one, but there's something kind of unique about Samson. Ladies' man? Eh, somewhat. But the strength and what he had was amazing. So as I thought about it, though, I, I realized that it really isn't about me. It isn't about my relating to Samson that's the most important. I think the narrative for Samson is not about making me feel better about myself because as he was broken, I'm broken, so I can relate to him. No, I, I think it's different. I think there's a very distinct difference. You see, Samson is to show us what a savior is. And uh, there's another very distinct difference about what happened in this account with Samson in this, these books of Judges, uh, or these chapters. The Israelites had been in bondage for 40 years. It's the longest period of bondage that they had been in. And there's another thing that very, is very significant about this time of bondage for the Israelites. And I'll share with that in, with you in a, in a moment. But, so what is Samson? One of the things I look about and look at, and that is a good question is, is this Old Testament figure someone who's noted in the New Testament? Did you know Samson is? He's listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. He's noted in verses 32 and 33 as with other judges who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. So Samson did what he was called to do. He just did it in a very unusual, maybe somewhat uncouth way and hard for us to understand. But God had a plan and he had a purpose and he worked it out through Samson. So let's pray together as we looked into God's word. Heavenly Father, may your word be my rule and your spirit my teacher and the glory of Christ my ultimate concern. Lord, as we open your word, may it speak to us. May it not be my word, but your word for all of us. And Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks that we can gather here together as sisters and brothers in Christ, physically and online and over the phone. And all the mediums, Lord, that you've given us, we give thanks. And now we ask, most of all, that your name be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to the, just a few verses that I'm going to note as we begin this. And then I had asked you in the checking in uh, email earlier this week, 
that if you take time, and if you didn't do this, please do it maybe today, is just take time to read Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. It's quite a, it's, it's, it's not a difficult read, and it'll help you understand, maybe put some of the things together, because I'm going to kind of sail through some of the, some of the areas and try to get to, to show what I think is really what God is showing us, and that is his faithfulness despite our unfaithfulness. And believe me, I am less than faithful. So, but God is faithful. So let's look at uh, beginning in verses, in chapter 13, verses one through five. And I believe they're on the uh, screen for you. And in the same way, this is how it begins. And the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man named Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you're barren. Like she knew that. And you have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, if you notice at the end of verse five, it said, he shall begin because he didn't finish it. But he began quite a fight as a warrior. So it all begins with what? The birth of a savior. As we look in chapters 13, in chapter 13, one through 25, we, we again are reminded that Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So what does God do? He gives them and puts them in the hands of an enemy, the Philistines, which were a warrior people not a very friendly people. In fact, uh, they even threaten their own, as you note in these chapters, with, uh, with burning uh, the wife uh, of Samson and her, husband, and her father were threatened. If you don't, if you don't tell us the, the answer to this riddle, we'll burn you. Well, they did end up getting burned. So, but quite a story. It's the longest oppression in the book of Judges. And given the pattern of the cycles that occurred in this book of Judges, there's something, and I noted, that didn't happen. You see, Israel didn't cry out to God for repentance and to be saved. They had acquiesced. So God never heard their cry. They didn't give them him a cry. But God still was faithful despite their unfaithfulness. God had a plan and his plan would not be foiled. So he came through the angel of the Lord and brought Samson. So they had acquiesced, these these Israelites, under the, the rule of the Philistines. Sound familiar? Couldn't help but think after they had been released from Egypt under slavery for 430 years, What did they do to God when they were in the wilderness? They cried out and said, can't we go back to where we were? 
And this seems to be a common theme. Maybe it's just the way we are, isn't it? We kind of like to go back to the, the mire in which we're in. But Samson was unique. He had a, a very lengthy, if you would, birth narrative. Birth narratives are rare in Scripture, but they're important in both the Old and New Testaments. In fact, there are seven recorded birth narratives in Scripture. Seven is a sign of fullness, of completeness. I can only imagine that if, if uh, Samson's mother, which we don't know her name, the only name of the woman we know in these four chapters is Delilah. But we don't know the mother's name, and we don't know his wife's name that he was going to marry, who was a Philistine. But I think in this birth narrative, if there could have been a gender party that Samson's mother could have held, I can only imagine the plethora of mylar balloons, blue balloons that would have floated up into the sky announcing the fact that she was going to have a boy. And this boy was set apart. He was going to be a Nazarite. And ever since the promise of God in Genesis 3, 15. God's people have waited for the birth of the offspring of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent and forever deliver God's people from sin and death. That's why the Bible features, as I said, seven birth narratives. People like Isaac and Jacob showcase the miraculous nature of God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. How about Moses? How about Samson, Samuel, and how about John the baptizer? They all remind us that God's promised seed will perform a great act of salvation. But it's the seventh narrative that really is the most important. It's that narrative, the Savior, who arrives in the person of Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. So seven birth narratives. But now he's born as a Nazarite. What does that mean? Well, Samson and John the baptizer were actually very similar, even though they weren't related. One, the Old Testament, the other, the New Testament. But they were both Nazarites. They were both brought in and called to a redemptive relationship. Both of their births were announced by an angel, an angel of the Lord. Both men were designated as Nazarites from birth. Tragically, though, there's a similarity. Both were betrayed by a woman. Samson by Delilah in Judges 16 and John the baptizer by Herodias' daughter, you remember that, who called for his beheading. Two men chosen by God to serve faithfully announcing the coming of a king. Samson was paving the way for King David. John the baptizer was paving the way for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. So that's a little bit of the birth narrative and where Samson was. He was a Nazarite. He was supposed to be careful on what he ate or drank and what he was around, but yeah. He didn't follow those rules very good. I think in a way it was easier for him to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission, don't you think? Maybe somewhat. 
But now Samson and his Philistine bride in chapters 14 and 15, what's that look like? Well, we know that he was brought and he had secret strength, didn't we? Was the strength from his hair? Well, the Bible actually tells us something different. It really wasn't his hair. According to Judges 13, 24 and 25, and Judges 14, 6 and 19, the key component to Samson's strength was not his hair. It was the spirit of the Lord that came upon him. The spirit of the Lord. Do we think about the power that that is in our lives? Acts 1 verse 8 says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. It's that same power that entered into Samson and gave him the strength that he needed. Now, Samson's request, he wanted to marry a Philistine woman. Parents weren't too happy about that. Here, they're He's a Nazarite, and now he's entering into a relationship with someone who is not one of our people. Uh, Probably not hard for us to understand when we have maybe a son or daughter who's wanting to make a request to marry someone who we may not feel is the best for them. But God had another plan. And let's see how he worked it out, because the very fact is his parents were unaware of the reason why Samson and why God was using this relationship, because it was a relationship that would confront the Philistines. And why would the Bible be interested to tell us about Samson and killing the lion with his bare hands? Is it any surprise that he'd come back later and eat that honey from that dead carcass? Or or maybe there's another picture here. How about David? What did David note? The Spirit of the Lord came on David this young shepherd boy, and what would he do? He would kill a bear or lion with his bare hands as well. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him as well. And how about that wedding? And how about the riddle? Out of the eater, something to eat? Out of the strong, something sweet? As Samson had told his 30 uh, wedding companions that were Philistines to solve this riddle, And of course, you know the rest of the story. They went to his wife and said, tell us, we do not want him to beat us on this riddle. And so Samson told her, and then they told, and then he confronted him, them. And instead, now the the battle began because what did Samson do? He went down to the, the town of Ashkelon, which is not too far from there. And then he struck down 30 men of the Philistines, took their clothes and brought them back and gave them to them because they had, quote, and I say quote on the phone, won the riddle. But really, they had lost, hadn't they? He knew very well that they used his wife to solve this riddle. Well, now the revenge begins. His wife now was given by her father to Samson's best man, Imagine that. Samson goes back. We don't know what time that was, that time frame, but he went back to take his wife. And his, what would have been father-in-law said, oh no, I, I, I didn't think you were coming back. I gave her to your best man. Well, now 
How do you think Samson felt? Not too good. In fact, this is really quite a story, and I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I read about it, I thought, how did he do this? How did he get 300 foxes, tie their tails together, attach torches to each one, and then let them go? Don't you think he had some help? I mean, I, I, I don't know how you would do that alone, but it doesn't say any more about it, so maybe it's just for us to think about. Maybe it was an angel of the Lord that helped him through this. I don't know. But anyway, all we know is this. Those foxes went running through the grain fields, ZFS, watch out. They lost everything. They lost their olive groves. They lost everything. They were one very upset people. I could use some other words, but it wouldn't be appropriate. So what happened then? Well, they were, they were betrayed. Samson was betrayed by his bride. There was unfaithfulness. What happened then was... the reality of the marriage. That didn't work, did it? But it's a picture, too, of our unfaithfulness in our marriage vows as well, but God's faithfulness despite us. It's why in Revelation, and which is why one of the reasons we're doing this series on Revelation, the words in Revelation 19 remind us, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You see, this wasn't a very good marriage. It was an unfaithful marriage. But there is one to which we can be, realize his faithfulness to us. But now the battle continues because Samson's wife and her father are now cremated by their own people. So, yeah, they ended up being burned. And now for a warring people comes the need for an extraordinary warrior. Samson was just warming up. This was now his very own people went to Samson and said, basically this, this is a sad state you put us in. Why don't you let us tie you up and we'll give you over to the Philistines. We won't kill you. But basically, they're saying, we'll let them kill you. So Samson did this. They tied him up, but you know the rest of that story again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and what happened? He broke through. There happened to be a jawbone of a donkey there, and he took that jawbone of a donkey, and he slayed 1,000 Philistines. Then Samson cried out because he was thirsty. Well, after all, he'd been working rather hard, you know, between the foxes and, and all this, and he had just gone back now and gotten some honey from the lion carcass in which he had killed earlier. And now he was thirsty. He was thirsty unto death. And what did the Lord do? The Lord miraculously provides water for a servant to drink in Judges 15. Now, I want you to think about thirst. Think about others that you know that were thirsty in the Bible. How about Elijah? He was thirsty unto death, and the Lord provided him miraculously water to drink as well in 1 Kings 19. But then I want you to think about someone else who was thirsty to death. How about Jesus? Jesus was denied water, wasn't he? 
water of life in order that we might drink and be reminded of the everlasting life, the everlasting well of water. And Jesus himself said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water in John 7. Could it not be said, though, that Israel was thirsty, a dry and a dry and weary land where there was no water? But the fact is, in those words of the psalmist, we have seen him in his sanctuary and have beheld his power and his glory. And because his love is better than life, our lips will praise him and we will give glory when we praise him as long as we live. And our souls will be filled with the richest affair. Maybe that's that picture. Maybe in some ways we feel today like we're in a dry and weary land. I don't know about you, but I often feel that way. Don't you? And I see a hand. Does anybody else kind of feel a dry and weary land? Yes. But there is a Savior, and we're again reminded. We're reminded what is going to quench our thirst. What quenches your thirst and my thirst? There is only one. There is only one Savior. But Samson was given for a time such as this. And now you know the rest of the story here with Delilah, the only woman, again, that we know the name. In Judges 16, 1 through 3, in this short account, Samuel now travels to Gaza. Now, Gaza is the place where the end is going to occur. But until then, something significant happens. Gaza, or Samson goes to Gaza, and he stays with a prostitute that night. Now, some of you and some of us, we automatically think, well, no wonder Samson went to a prostitute. It fits with Samson. <coughs> well, I want you to think another way. There's another reason why someone might go and sit with a prostitute and stay with one. And that is, it is known in that time when you would go and visit, say, a town, that you would go to the town center and you would sit down. And then a church father or an elder or someone there you would, would meet you. And oftentimes they'd invite you and say, Mary, would you like to stay with our, us at our home tonight. Well, they'd also find out very quickly why you were there. Why did you come to our city? Why did you come to our town? That word would travel. So there was another reason why Samson was drawn to stay at the house of a prostitute. That was a way for him to show or to be really, to kind of uh, be covert in his coming into that city of Gaza. So very similar, and I'm sure you don't think about this with Rahab and when Joshua sent the spies to Jericho. Where did they say? In the home of a prostitute, Rahab. But then they, they left in that night. Samson too left in the middle of the night. But he didn't leave alone. Samson took the city gates with him. Now, you also have to know, city gates were very important in this time. City gates were where you came into, and then they had guards by them to make sure that your city was safe. 
Well, Samson, in his rage, he left and he grabbed the city gates and he carried them 40 miles to Hebron and set them there. Now, I can only imagine, well, I can't even imagine what that was like to carry that kind of weight for that length or, or that distance. But Samson did it. So maybe, maybe that was for him to remain undercover. But there's another picture of this with regards to gates that I want you to think about. See, when city gates were destroyed, it was part of destroying those people. The destruction symbolized maybe something of what of the city, which remember what was going to happen later. It was Samson who would take down the greatest number of Philistines in that city. In Lamentations 2, verse 9, it says this, Her gates have sunk into the ground, their bars he has broken and destroyed. Lamentations is acknowledging what happened to Israel, what happened in Jerusalem, to the gates there. The fact is, Jeremiah and Amos both prophesied this. But this is interesting, too, that I think is important for us to see. In Genesis 22, 17, God said to Abraham, he said, this is his promise. He said, your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. In this text, maybe, Samson is a picture, too, of God's faithfulness to his covenant people. Even though they repeatedly failed, and they fell. His covenant was fulfilled. Now, Samson goes on to Gaza, because we know what happened here. Delilah basically betrayed him after three times trying to get out of him where his power came from, and then the Philistines overtook Samson. They then gouged out his eyes, and they blinded him, and then he worked in grinding grain. But there was a day, there was a day when Samson was called, and they called him up, and they wanted him to perform for them. And what did he do? As the Philistines were blinded and as Samson had been blinded, the Philistines were blinded to the fact that the Spirit of the Lord was going to come upon Samson. So what was a picture of that? His hair had grown. Samson then said to those around him, can you, can you put me by the two pillars here? So I'd, I'd like to feel them. I'd like to hold myself up. And then Samson cried out to the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And the power of the Spirit came on him. And what happened? The greatest number of Philistine rulers and people were killed, along with Samson that very time that very evening, probably. Samson received the power again. God's work was being done. It wasn't fulfilled yet, but it had begun, overtaking the Philistine people with a very unusual savior named Samson. So the fact is, we often live, don't we, in places and times where we look for Maybe we're looking for Samson's in some ways. 
Maybe we're looking for things in all the wrong places. And there's one we should look to. And there's a life that we're called to lead and to live. And Paul says this in Romans to us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. This is your act of spiritual worship. And then he says this, he goes, uh, and, and don't, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, we live in a, in the midst of a world that seems to be somewhat shattered. But as Christians, we're called to live a life different. We're called to be a beacon of light and hope. We're called to be understanding and to be understood. We're called to be forgiving. You see, God was faithful to an unfaithful people. He's faithful to you and I. And that's what we give praise for. That despite all of this that we live in today, God is faithful. God is faithful. So was Samson a perfect judge? I think we can all say unanimously no. But in light of Judges 13 through 16, there was someone there. There's a Savior God brought into the world. If we had the mind of God, maybe we could understand it. Maybe now looking at a 30, 40,000 foot look, we can understand a little bit more about God's work through Samson. But it does show us this. It shows us that as Samson was a Nazarite, means he wasn't supposed to drink wine or touch anything dead, which he, of course, did. He consistently broke the rules. In the end, he's overcome by Philistines, blinded and tortured. In his death, he deals one last blow to the enemies of God. You see, in some ways, he's doing the very work that Joshua had told, God had told Joshua's people needed to do. Jesus wasn't a Nazarite, but he was from Nazareth. And unlike Samson, he was a perfectly righteous judge. Yet in the end, he too was bound by the enemies of God, wasn't he? Not for his sin, but for yours and for mine. And in his death, Samson, he conquered the enemies of God. Not the Philistines, though. He conquered sin and death and Satan for us. My friends, Samson actually is a picture of how much we need Jesus, the righteous judge. So as we look today for a savior within our world, we won't find one. No, not princes and kings, not presidents and all of the things we look at in our political world today. Those aren't the answers. They are not the answers. There is only one who is the answer. And as we're called to live this life, I'm reminded of Peter's words in 1 Peter 2.12. He said, live such lives among the unbelievers that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day he visits us. What Peter is saying to you and to me is this. 
live such lives and do such things to baffle those around you. Be the salt and the light that we are called to be. And let the power of the Holy Spirit work because God is in control. Samson's mom and dad didn't think so, but God was. The Israelites didn't even acknowledge who who God was. They didn't come to repent. They didn't cry out. But God said, I will pursue you even though you do not pursue me. You see, God has a much greater plan. And that plan is for you and for me to be who we're called to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for your word and uh, how you speak to us through your books and through judges and how you use Samson, a, a broken vessel, to be a savior to your people. And Lord, we give thanks that you are our savior. You are the righteous judge. You are the one that we should look to. You are the one that gives us everlasting water, water where we will never thirst. And so, Lord, we give thanks for you. We give thanks for what you have done for us. And now we pray that as we go out into this world, that we will be the salt and the light, that we will be a beacon of hope, that we will allow the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon us, and that we will be disciples, you call us, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And remember, you are with us always to the very end of the age. Amen.